Hi, everyone. This is Tech and Ed Tech. In this podcast, we discuss technology that powers education and improves learning for all. Welcome to today's episode, where we'll be talking about improving collaborative learning through technology. I'm your host, Dan Gizzi from Magic Ed Tech, and our guest today is Michael Lombardo, founder and CEO of BookNook. Michael, thanks for joining in and welcome to today's show. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Uh, great. Why don't you uh, just give a little bit of intro about yourself, you know, how you got into ed-, ed tech. We'd love to learn a little bit about your background and a little bit about BookNook as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had a passion for equity and education for my entire career. Um, started out as an administrator at UC Berkeley, uh, then spent 10 years building one of the largest uh, literacy nonprofits in America. Um, and founded BookNook uh, out of the belief that that technology uniquely is capable of addressing large educational issues at scale, um, and uh, and I'm really passionate about the idea of sort of using technology to connect humans to have authentic social learning experiences that have powerful academic results for students. That's great. And I noticed uh, one of the areas you focus on with BookNook is the small group learning for children. I'd love to just you know, hear, maybe hear a little bit of elaboration around, you know, the passion that drove that, you know, reasoning behind small groups, you know, some of the learning that may go into that. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the answers of, of why does BookNook do things are easily um, easily tied back to what does the research say works? Um, and um, I think part of the reason why things like high dosage tutoring are, are generating so much interest among uh, educators right now is because there's such a well-established body of literature that that leads us to believe that when students are um, looking to accelerate learning, you know, small group or one-on-one instruction is hands down the most effective thing we can do. Um, and that's been validated by dozens of studies over 30 years. Um, so, so we don't come to it from a sort of, you know, uh, philosophical viewpoint, although we really value the social elements of learning and that special relationship that forms between students in that more intimate instructional setting. Um, it really comes from the research um, and what uh, we know works for students. Um, and then our job at BookNook is to use technology to help make that scalable. Um, and uh, when you talk with educators and you say small group learning um, everyone universally will say, yes, that we wish we could do more of that. We know that's really beneficial for students, both academically and socio-emotionally. And the problem is just, we don't have enough people. Um, it's, it's too logistically complicated to pull off. Um, and you know, that's a, a great spot where we can step in and help, um, both by working with districts to upskill, um, more parts of their workforce to be able to provide that kind of rigorous instruction and also to supplement that with our virtual teaching core, uh, which can further extend the people districts have access to in the buildings. Well, that's great. The mission is amazing. And I was actually saw an article yesterday where they're seeing the impact is finally starting to be felt in the classroom of, uh, the challenges we've obviously faced as, as a world with uh, how the educational market had to shift so quickly and reading has taken an unbelievable hit across the board uh, beyond just even the assessments and scores of, of being down, but just that ability to actually, uh, you know, educate the, the students and learners now in a way that makes sense in the world where we live in today. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's completely true. Um, and, you know, the pandemic has um, challenged a lot of parts of the education system. And uh, I, I like to believe that all of us in the world of education uh, take a learner posture first, um, much like we ask our students to. And so 
I think we're all still learning both what were the effects of the pandemic on student learning, both academically and socioemotionally. Um, and, uh, and then also, uh, you know, kind of what are the things that work to address that? Um, and as districts are thinking about different uh, learning acceleration strategies, you know, as I was just talking about, sort of what can we pull from the research and, and what does our past experience teach us? And then how does that need to adapt to this unique moment that we are in? Um, and how can we make sure that we are sort of building on that base of knowledge um, and, and allowing ourselves to be learners and to try new things um, and to continue to kind of push that frontier of understanding further and further as we think about creative new ways to support students um, during these extraordinary times. No, that's, that's great to hear. I think, you know, um, from a virtual perspective, you know, what were some of the ways that you were able to help support, you know, were there avenues that you were able to expand in quickly or had you already had that in place and were able to just kind of shift and pivot? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying it's sometimes better to be lucky than be good. Um, and uh, so, so we, you know, really started Booknook with this thesis about a workforce problem. Um, and as I was just saying, like reading and the science of reading, this is not new. Um, and um, there's a pretty well-established set of ideas about what really works for students. Um, and the problem is like, how do districts make that happen, right? Um, and, you know, even before the pandemic, we were dealing with teacher shortages and challenges with hiring classified staff and paraprofessionals. And so, so we were already kind of working in this idea at Booknook of sort of how could technology help with that problem? Um, and uh, and our first thought was, like I said, kind of upskilling and sort of taking more people and, as we like to say, expanding the who of teaching. So, so kind of being more inclusive and thinking more broadly about the caring adults that are in children's lives and how we could turn them into great reading teachers. Um, and then even before the pandemic, we were starting to experiment with virtual teaching, um, which you know, we saw as a way to sort of double down on that thesis um, and to acknowledge that even if we, you know, sort of upskilled every single person in that school building and made every single person capable of delivering great small group instruction, unfortunately, even before the pandemic, oftentimes there simply weren't enough adults in the building to do that. And so virtual teaching was a way to sort of extend that and to make sure that if there was a will from a school leader or a teacher to be able to provide students with small group learning, that these sort of, you know, kind of who is available to grab uh, wasn't the limiting factor and that we could use virtual teaching to support that. So, so that uh, was an idea we were playing with before the pandemic. And then obviously um, when we went into distance learning uh, in the spring of 2020, that um, became much more relevant um, and districts all of a sudden were sort of um, scrambling both to figure out, you know, this kind of upskilling and instructional problem. And then also uh, the hardest part for every educator during distance learning was the synchronous components. How do we in that moment in the Zoom room do a great job for our students um, and the fact that we had been experimenting with uh, technologies that could, you know, help with that was definitely um, beneficial. So, so for us, it was less of a pivot and more kind of an evolution of a, a hypothesis we had even before the pandemic, and and sort of uh, I think we just didn't know how right we were um, that it was going to be really really important uh, that schools had these kinds of tools to navigate these problems. Yeah, that who is very important um, as the parent of what was a second grader at the time when all of this started and now soon to be coming up to the end of his third grade. It's uh, amazing how the parents got dropped into this equation of being more of the beyond homework educator in, in this as well. So it's uh, it's great to hear that the services were being thought of, of that, that, that group setting and everyone's an educator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think they're actually, you know, uh, like most startup founders, I'm an optimist. Um, and so, 
you know, I do think there are some really positive things that came out of the pandemic, acknowledging obviously that uh, teachers and students experienced all kinds of disruption and trauma, but there are positives. Um, some of them have to do with really putting the digital divide uh, at the forefront and, and moving to this understanding that those of us, I think, working in school buildings already understood, but was not broadly understood, which is there are vast differences in the technology and device environment uh, at different schools and that students have in, in different homes. Um, and and that creating equity of access and making sure that every student has a device, every student has internet access, whether they're at home or at school, um, you know, the, the way that moved to the forefront uh, and the amount of energy that uh, administrators and policymakers put into addressing that issue is really positive um, and move things forward. Um, we're not there yet. And I think there is a misconception that the digital divide, like we figured that out, that's behind us now. Um, there are still major, major equity of access issues, um, but we made a lot of progress. And I, I think everyone agrees with that. Um, Another positive is what you describe your experience with your second grader. I, I had a first grader uh, at the same time, and I think it gave an opportunity for families uh, and caregivers to see firsthand what's happening and to kind of understand, um, you know, sort of uh, what oftentimes is sort of behind the veil of the yellow bus um, of like, what what is the, you know, like, what is the experience of a child learning reading or learning foundational math? What does that actually look like? Um, and you know, we found ourselves uh, dragooned into service in some cases. Uh, we found ourselves maybe just sort of uh, a fly on the wall, just kind of listening and hearing what that was like. But but I think it did give uh, families a unique insight into kind of the challenges that educators grapple with every day. Um, and I, I hope that that shared understanding creates opportunities as well. Um, and that, you know, parents walk away feeling better informed um, and maybe having more empathy for the challenges that teachers face and, and vice versa, um, that teachers... Um, came to understand all the challenges that families deal with at home. Um, and um, so so I'm a believer that, you know, sort of greater understanding, you know, leads to greater empathy and, and to ultimately um, better connections. And I, I think that, you know, the pandemic provided that for better or for worse, like it or not, we, we all got to see each other's business. Um, and I think that there are some positives to that for sure. Yeah, I, I can respect that positivity and to touch upon the equity of access. It was amazing how, you know, it's always been discussed and talked about. It's built into budgets. It's talked about any district level RFP, but it still always ends up being something that the districts with the money are still the districts with the money in, in the pre-pandemic world. And that shift was very drastic, I think, where we saw that it had to happen from an industry perspective as well, where we had to open up that access where it may have been hidden in the past. And you know, even from a social and emotional learning, I think that's, you know, we, we were in everybody's living rooms for so long over Zoom or over, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the, the, the video was that we got to see into people's lives in a way that we wouldn't have in an educational system. And, you know, it's been great to see that continue forward now as, you know, we've gone back to the brick and mortar classrooms or some version of hybrid. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like I said, I think the, you know, pandemic, I, I often describe it um, as, you know, sort of a time machine, right? Like, so there were these trends already. Districts are moving to more one-to-one -one device access. Um, you know, we were sort of grappling with issues of personalization and the use of technology and teaching. Um, and the pandemic kind of shot us forward like five years all at once um, and trends that were already in place that were positive. Um, like, like I said, teachers embracing more technology as part of learning, um, greater personalization and differentiation, like those things all progressed. But then also the problems progressed too. And um, as I said earlier, teacher shortages and workforce shortages were a problem before the pandemic. That is not a new thing. Um, however, the pandemic made it drastically worse. Um, and 
Uh, and so now we're dealing with, you know, kind of problems that were starting to emerge, you know, in, in the late uh, 20-teens um, as, you know, reaching crisis stage. Um, and um, I'm hopeful that we'll see from school leaders and policymakers the same kind of resourcefulness and creativity and urgency that we saw during the pandemic to sort of figure those solutions out um, because um, it is every bit as big of a challenge for students and for educators to deal with the fact that it's very, very hard to hire right now. Um, and most districts have some kind of a shortage um, and are doing, you know, all kinds of contortions just to make sure there are enough adults in the building to keep it open. Um, so, so I hope that we'll see the same kind of innovation, the same kind of embrace of technology um, and the same kind of, like I said, urgency that we saw early in the pandemic to, to figure out a solution um, and to make sure that students have uh, access to great teaching, make sure that educators feel well supported and excited about being in the K-12 workforce and wanting to stay. Um, and that, you know, we're sort of uh, building kind of a, a stronger, more diverse um uh, K-12 workforce over time, because I think that will will serve both students and schools better. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit as a, a leader in the education space. So, you know, seeing that there is this big uh, gap in challenges, you know, what would be your advice to that next person on the sidelines that's thinking of the next big idea? What would be your advice to them to to get out in front of that, to be able to assist, you know, obviously, whether it's with BookNook or, or even in that, you know, what's the next greatest big thing that we can do to help close that reading gap? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for us to grapple with is uh, this idea that the pre-pandemic K-12 system is the good old days. Um, you know, it was the bad old days. There were a lot of really big problems in uh, equity of access uh, to high quality teaching for students. Uh, of providing, like I said before, sort of a, a great experience for teachers and, and embracing and respecting them uh, and making sure that we were building a strong and diverse workforce of teachers. Um, so, so you know, uh, my general advice is let's not look backwards. Um, and uh, much as there are things to be proud of, of what we've uh, done in K-12 education over the last few decades, um, it was not serving all students well. Um, and, uh, and I think the more we can release that um, and think about the future, the better. I think the more people who have creative ideas are willing to speak up and raise their hand and participate, the better. Um, and I, I do think we found districts um, learned they had an innovation muscle that they maybe didn't realize um, because they were forced during the pandemic to move quickly, um, as Facebook famously says, right, to move quickly and break things. Um, and I think they, they had to do that. They didn't have any choice. Um, and I'm hopeful that that, that legacy of, of, you know, sort of urgency um, and adaptability is something that that is a long-term outcome of the pandemic. Um, but, you know, I, I talk to people who think about starting startups all the time in the ed tech space. Um, and my answer is, you know, if you have a, a real solution um, and that solution is based on a need that you see and understand from a, a student or a teacher or a parent or caregiver standpoint, um, come on in, you know, the water's fine. There's, there's a lot of opportunity um, and, uh, and it's probably never been a better time to think about coming into this space with a new idea. Um, but I also uh, caution people, um, you know, I, I believe that ed tech is at its worst when it's a solution in search of a problem. Um, and somebody has like, is really fired up about machine learning or web three or whatever it is. And, and sort of extrinsically comes up with this notion that like, wouldn't it be cool if this technology was used in education um, and, you know, I think that, that those, those solutions tend um, both not to lead to successful businesses, but also 
um, you know, are, are maybe contributing less to um, the overall development of the field, which which I believe should begin with, you know, empathy and humility and just understanding of like what it is like for a classroom teacher or what it is like for a student who is struggling academically and, and starting from a place of saying, how can I solve those problems? How can I help that person? Um, and, you know, kind of founding your ideas when it comes to, you know, kind of the, the next big idea in the sort of ed tech product space on that understanding. Um, and not so much on like, I read this article in Wired and I think, you know, I think Bitcoin is somehow going to be the way that kids buy school lunches in the future. And I want to work on that. Um, I think that's, that's generally speaking going to be, you know, less of a rewarding experience for everyone involved. I think I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's amazing how we can look at that equity access piece and, and be drivers and leaders with just a simple change in just mindset. And it doesn't always have to be a huge heavy lift from a technology standpoint either. Yep. Um, I appreciate that too. I think it's, you know, yeah, I think all of us, I mean, everyone comes into education with good intentions. That's, that's, you know, for better or for worse. Um, that's a nice thing about the world of, of education. I think we all believe in the power of learning. We all want to support students and teachers, but you know, like I said, it requires a certain humility, uh, particularly for people that are are more on that technologist end of the spectrum um, to say, you know, I, I probably don't know a lot about what it's like to be a teacher um, if I haven't been one or if I haven't spent a whole lot of time around them. Um, and before I, you know, sort of go make my pitch deck and start making the rounds with VCs, like I, I first am going to kind of, you know, put myself in their shoes and try to understand the day-to-day of their lives. And uh, and make sure that what I'm working on solves a problem for them um, and is, you know, sort of uh, fundamentally trying to come from a place of, of empathy and understanding and translating that into a product vision. Yeah, it's, every data point has a little human attached to it at the end of the day. I'm, I'm going to ask you to put your parent hat on for a second. So, um, so you've got a young one. What would be some of the advice you would say in the areas that you've seen have have been lacking now? So from a parental standpoint, you know, if you you could sit yourself down as a CEO and say, I need you to fix this as a parent. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I actually have four uh, kids. So I have a high schooler, a middle schooler and two elementary schoolers. So I get to see the full spectrum um, and... You know, um, I'm going to own, I, I am a very privileged person. I'm a college educated white male. And so my kids go to pretty good public schools um, and they are, you know, sort of the winners of that, um, you know, kind of zip code lottery. Um, and um, so, so I spend more of my time thinking less about, you know, sort of the experiences my kids are having because they're at the very privileged end of the spectrum and more about the students who don't have that privilege. Um, but, but, you know, I think, your parenting does give you an insight and it helps you understand, you know, kind of the, as you said, the little humans that are attached to those data. Um, and I think, you know, uh, if nothing else, uh, some of the things that, that my kids have taught me are, you know, as I said before, humility and patience, um, and, you know, all the words to the songs from Encanto, um, those things I've, I've got, um, um, and, um, but I, I think, you know, as a parent, uh, and this is something that we deal with at BookNook, I, I do think there's a lot of room for improvement in the way that school systems work with their families um, and treat them, you know, as central to the learning experience of their children. And, and I would say that's even more important when we're working with families who are not traditionally very connected to school. So who who maybe don't speak English or and certainly who don't have a college degree. Um, and so... Um, I think schools mean well um, and do a lot of efforts designed to involve parents in the learning process. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think if you 
you talk to those families, you find they generally feel pretty disconnected from from education. Um, and that may be because they're dealing with other challenges in their lives and are, are just trying to sort of keep food on the table and, and attend to the very basic human needs. Um, but but I think, um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of space for us to do better in terms of how family voice um, is a part of decision making for schools, um, is a part of, you know, kind of crafting learning experiences for students. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not sort of, you know, as, as I think is too often the case, you know, parents are sort of notified of what's happening kind of after the fact, and they're more a part of the learning design process. Um, we worked with a, a great nonprofit um, in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area called Innovate Public Schools that I thought um, did a really great job kind of bringing families together with uh, education leaders and, and sort of saying, rather than us tell you what we think you need um, and, you know, kind of here's the program, do you want to sign up or not? Um, like doing a kind of grassroots driven, community voice driven process to sort of hear from them what they felt they needed um, and to try to, you know, craft solutions that meet that need. So it's hard. And I have such, um, you know, sympathy for school districts that are dealing with so many challenges. And as I said, are, are stretched so thin from workforce standpoint, but I do believe that that, you know, pays off over time. Um, and, you know, particularly if we're designing learning solutions that, you know, involve the parent in some way, the, the parent or guardian has to, you know, register their child for services, whatever it is. Um, you know, the more that we make them feel a part of that process, I think the, the better they will feel about it, the stronger the program will be. Um, and hopefully also the more successful have in reaching students. Um, so I think that's a, a definite area that I could see as room for improvement. I think that's a great way to wrap us up. You know, I, I think, you know, being able to close the loop on that. Um, and I appreciate, you know, Michael, you joining me today on this episode of Tech in Ed Tech at Magic Ed Tech. And we look forward to you tuning into this in future broadcasts as well. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me and appreciate the thoughtful questions and hope you and your now third grader are doing well. Yeah, thank you.